could not help but just sit there a moment and think about what we just sang. Lord, wash me whiter than snow. Lord, give me clean hands and a pure heart. Because that's really what we're talking about this morning out of the Beatitudes. As we come to that eighth verse in Matthew chapter 5, and it's amazing, I had Ricky read the first John passage and the Hebrews 12 passage, and then I really wanted somebody to read the Psalm 24 passage, but I didn't do it, and Jeff did it. I love it when the Lord brings a plan together, you know, when you're not expecting it. And then songs about the, the power of God, the mighty fortress of God as Jesus Messiah and Lord, and then bringing it down from exalting Him to a prayer of give us clean hands and give us a pure heart. I mean, that's just, wow, let's go home. I mean, there's nothing else to say, but I will say something, even if I repeat it. Chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 8, this next beatitude, the sixth beatitude, simply says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, there's a remarkable thing about Jesus. Throughout all of His earthly ministry, He never concerned Himself with the externals. He never concerned himself with how somebody looked or how they dressed or, or, or even what they did in some cases. He looked at the Pharisees and said, boy, you look good. You're all dressed up. You're all cleaned up. Everything's great. You look good. But you're just a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Because it doesn't matter what's on the outside, Jesus always brought to point. It doesn't matter what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside that really matters. And as far as the Pharisees go, there was death, there was bones, there was decay, there was stench inside. But boy, did they look good on the outside. Jesus never worried about the outside. He always concentrated on the heart. He always concentrated on what is the very depth of our being, the very innermost part of our being, because he knew that if the inside is right, what? That's a question. What? The outside will be right. Yeah. If the, I, don't, I know I don't do that often. I don't mean to shake you up. But if the inside is right, then the outside will take care of itself. But so often, even today, we can be very pharisaical. We can be very much like the Pharisees. We can just kind of try to clean up and dress up the outside and say, you know, as long as I look good on the outside, then everybody will think everything's okay. And they act like it's right when it really isn't. There are a lot of religions and a lot of groups that will tell you that you ought to clean up on the outside. There are some who will say, if you'll go through our rituals, go through our ordinances, go through our secret ideas, then you'll be pure. You'll be pure in heart. You'll, you'll have a purity of life. 
but it's not coming through Jesus Christ, and it's not coming through the atonement, and it's not coming through the cross. Even some of these will say, oh no, there are other religions that will fit fine as long as you, as long as you work hard to be purified and look right and look outstanding and be an upstanding citizen. And the truth of the matter is, they are lying. It's much of what we talked about. I want you to understand something. If you're in the truth project, if you're not, I think you'll understand this anyway, even though you're not. When, when Dale Tackett talks about there's this cosmic battle going on, the, the battle between the truth, which is reality, and the lie, which is illusion, I want you to understand, he's, he's primarily paralleling those, the truth and the lie between God's word and the world and false philosophy. But I want you to understand that that can also demonstrate itself and show itself within religious groups or within other groups that want to give you some kind of formula for right living that only deal with the externals. Folks, until you come down to understand it's the atonement and the work of Christ is the only thing that can do your life any good at all, you'll never understand what Jesus is talking about here when he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's important you grasp that. It's important you understand that. You can't just clean up your life. You know, some people say, well, when I get my life in order, I'll go to church. Well, bully you. You'll never be in church then. Because there is no way that you can clean up. Your, oh, you can clean it up externally. I know you can look good. You can put on your best clothes and come to church and carry a Bible. And, and that. But if you're depending on something other than the atonement of Jesus Christ, if you're depending on anything else rather than his finished work on that cross, I don't care what it is or who it is, it's a lie and it's an illusion and it's a falsehood. Many times people get caught up in that. Even people that go to church do. Because they think they need that somehow to, to, to clean up their lives. God says, no, you need Christ. That's it. As we think about this idea of a pure heart, I want to I talk about three things. I want to talk about, first of all, that the impurity of heart is the cause of spiritual blindness. I just want to show you that this morning uh, from the Scripture. I also want to show you that the pure, the pure heart gives us the most glorious sight that you'll ever have. That is the vision, the sight of God. Thirdly, I want us to talk about how the purification of the heart is strictly a divine work. It's not something you do for yourself. Those are three things. Let's pray. Father, sometimes, sometimes we need for you to reopen our eyes and see again the glories of Jesus. And the glories that belong to you. Father, help us do that today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that an impure heart is the cause of spiritual blindness. An impure heart keeps you from seeing what is really important about God, what is really important about life. An impure heart is a heart that, that can be consumed by covetousness or by greed. An impure heart tends to not look to the glory and the provision and the protection of God, 
but rather looks around and says, if I don't get everything I want, if I don't accumulate all that I think I need, if I'm not prepared myself for whatever might come along, then, then I'm, not, I'm not okay. The pure heart is one that sees beyond greed and says, Lord, no matter if the stock market collapses, no matter if the whole economic system of this nation collapses, my hope is not in you, my hope is in God. My, my hope is not in the world. My hope is in you, in God. I, I got a, an email. We got an email from our daughter this past week. And it's sad when your children put you to shame. She sent us an email. It's a rather lengthy email. And just basically saying, well, it finally happened. The economy caught up with me. I got laid off from my job on Friday in New York City. You don't live long without a job in New York City. And she had a great job. She loved it and everything. And my first thought was my stomach got all churning and I got all concerned. Oh, me, what's she going to do? And her paragraph that just struck me was, said, but don't worry. I got a real peace about this. I think God has given me a chance to be tested in what I say about believing in his sovereignty. And he's given me a chance to live that out around a lot of unbelievers because they've seen me now not melt down after I got the pink slip. They've seen me say, well, God is in control. And I thought, okay, you know, hit myself and go on. But see, when our, when our values, when our sight is on stuff, when our, when our eyes are kind of blinded by covetousness and greed, then we don't see that. We don't see God's protection. We, we can also have our heart blinded by lasciviousness or sexual immorality. I'll never forget when I was in seminary, one of my, well, my seminary uh, pastor at the church where we were members uh, told a group of us pastors one time, he said, listen, if you ever see anybody start really questioning the Word of God, and start questioning the goodness of God, and start questioning the, the existence of God, and, but especially zeroing in on His Word, he said, start looking in their life and see what's going on. And I thought, well, that's a strange thing to say. But he went on to say, because I will guarantee you almost every time in my, he had about 30 years of ministry at that point, in my 30 years of ministry, and this is Paul Burleson, you've met Paul Burleson, in my 30 years of ministry at that point, he said, you know, in my 30 years of ministry, I've always noticed that when somebody who has been faithful and who has lived in the Word and stood by the Word, when they start doubting, when they start questioning, when they start saying, well, I'm not sure I can believe this, I'm not sure I can accept that, he said, I've always found that there is something of immorality going on in their life. He said, watch it. Because you see lasciviousness and sexual immorality gets our eyes off the glory of God and onto our immediate, not needs, but our immediate wants and desires and, and passions. And, and when sexual immorality is there, it blinds us from seeing the glory of Christ and the glory of God. Tonight, when we look at the, the DVD, I wanna, don't want to give you the whole deal here, but tonight, uh, Dr. Sproul is going to come on the screen and he's going to say something about the eclipse of God. In, in 2005, I was in a pastor's conference where he spoke, and he did a whole sermon on it. He's going to do about a 30-second clip on it tonight. But I was in a conference where he was talking about the whole conference was titled The Eclipse of God. And, and Sproul made this point, and it's such a, a valid point. He said, you know, have you ever watched a solar eclipse? Have you ever seen, I remember in 1979 or 78, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, and I was working at Texpac Express, and we had a solar eclipse, a full solar eclipse. And, and everybody was saying, you know, don't look at it, don't watch it. 
put a little pinhole in a piece of cardboard and focus on another piece. And I did that. I was at work, and we all gathered around. We had our little things going like this. And there it was on the, car, on the piece of paper as we focused it through this little pinhole. We saw this clip, and we were just mesmerized by it. Now, the place got dark. And it looked as though the sun had gone out. In reality, we have a solar eclipse every day. You realize that? Every day, about now, about 8 o'clock, I guess, about 8 o'clock, we, we see something unusual happen if, if we think it ought to be light all the time, and it starts getting dark. And that's because the, the sun is now eclipsed by the earth itself. It's moved, the, the earth is rotated, and it's over on the other side of the earth, and so now the sun has been eclipsed by the earth. But not to worry, in about 10 hours, it's going to come back or less now, it's going to come back, and it's going to be bright again. During that time, the sun does not go out. The sun is not extinguished. The sun doesn't lose one bit of its brilliance or its glory, but it is eclipsed, and you cannot see it. Sproul made the point that that's what happens in many of our lives. We, we, we look to God, and we let things get in between us and our vision of God, and it's not that God loses any of His power, or any of His glory, or any of His magnificence God is still God in all of his strength and power and glory and everything else and there is God but we let things kind of get in the way and, and eclipse our view of God that's what an impure heart does an impure heart keeps people that's why people who are out there in the world who you try to share the gospel with and they say we don't see God we don't want to know God we don't have any desire to and besides we can't see that he's real the reason they can't see it is because there are things in their life that are eclipsing the glory of God. And they can't see His glory. They think He's dead or they think He's going on a trip or, or they think He's not that important because things are eclipsing their view and they cannot see Him. same can be said of regarding spiritual truth as far as, as with moral truth in the sense of covetousness, greed, lasciviousness, sexual immorality, you know, when a person's eyes are blinded, when, when impurity and immorality and, and impure heart blinds them, the, then the great doctrine of the atonement of Christ can never be fully appreciated until a heart is cleansed. Formulism or ritual or even habit always looks on the outside and never looks on the inside and never really sees the glory of God. A lot of people just let their habit bring them to church. They just come because that's what they want to do. And because of that, even the habit of doing something that appears to be so right, but it's so external, it eclipses God and eclipses His glory. And they do not understand the great truths of the Scripture. They don't understand the atonement. They don't understand the great work of Christ. And listen, folks, we pastors are guilty of that. We pastors sometimes are guilty of eclipsing God in your eyesight because we want to be so clever and we want to be so appreciated and we want to be so light that we, we, we deviate from just pointing to God and pointing to His glory and pointing to His sufficiency and somehow we say, look at us. Think well about us. I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago and I, it doesn't matter who was preaching it. Doesn't matter where it was. But the preacher was going along on a great sermon. 
I mean, it was from one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And, and then all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, talking about the power of the gospel, he stops abruptly and recognizes somebody in the congregation, uh, what a great job he's doing in the job that he's doing, and then he goes right back to preaching. And I was listening to that, and I went, whoa, we're glorifying the power of the gospel, and all of a sudden we stop in the middle of that, and we glorify the worm or the man? That's Newton's word is the worm. I mean, how do we do that as pastors? How do we do things that divert us from understanding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to get our own fame or get our own attention or, or do something like that? We eclipse, we eclipse God when that sort of thing happens. You can see it on television every day. You can watch preachers on television every day who will be preaching and just glorifying man and glorifying your desires and telling you that God is all about meeting your every want, desire, need. The prosperity gospel is one of the biggest lies that Satan has ever told. And many in the church have bought it. They bought it. I saw a pastor friend yesterday who had been talking to a, a friend who had been in Kenya and, and pastored in Kenya. And he came to the United States all excited because he had seen miracles of God performed there. And he, he couldn't wait to tell churches. Well, some of the churches really welcome me. You start talking about miracles, Baptists get scared of it. I, you just got to understand that. But he, went into, he came, came over here to share some of the miracles God was doing in Kenya. And, and he went into churches and started sharing it. And people got all excited and they said, oh man, this is exciting. We're looking for miracles too. And he started saying, what kind of miracle are you looking for? I said, oh man, we're looking for a bigger house. We're looking for God to give us a better income. Looking for God to give us a bigger car. We're tired of this Lexus. We want a Mercedes or vice versa. I don't know which is best. But you know, it's, uh, it's, it's we want something bigger and better all the time. And he came to my friend who knew him well, and he was grieved. And he said, I came to share about miracles of pastors who have been arrested for preaching the gospel and were facing death, and they were given release from prison, like Peter was in the, in the book of Acts. You know, they, they, were, they were freed. They were let loose. They were for no reason, and they were free. That's the kind of miracles I want to talk about, and they want to talk about more money. Because we've eclipsed God. We've seen God as just some kind of vending machine that we put our tithe in or we put our dollar in and we get it out. Whatever we want. Impurity of heart always causes spiritual blindness. But Jesus is saying here a second thing. He's saying that, that for those who are pure in heart, God gives us the most glorious sight. He said, for Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God. Wow. Now, John talked about that in 1 John. He said, if you've been, if you've been given this hope, you will seek to purify yourself. So John indicates there, there is something of a desire to be pure. The, the writer of Hebrews says we are to pr pursue peace with every man as far as possible but also to seek after sanctification, that is holiness or truth, because without sanctification, without holiness, no man shall see God. We, we heard the, the psalm read in Psalm 24 that says, who, uh, who may stand in the holy place, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in His holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, 
he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. I love the way David says that. He says, who will stand with the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place? Who will ascend into his presence? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands refer to the external. Pure heart refers to the internal. But when the heart is pure, the external will be cleansed. We be made clean. Oh, man. A pure heart gives us such a glorious sight. Now, first and foremost, I think the, the, those passages of Scripture from uh, the Beatitudes or Hebrews or 1 John or even Psalms, those are talking about the presence of God for all of eternity. Seeing God in all His glory for all eternity, we might simplify that and say, going to heaven when we die. I mean, it very well could be that, that these passages, I think they are saying that, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be in heaven with God. They shall see Him. Pursue sanctification, holiness, without which no one will see God. Now, some people say, well, maybe that just means you won't get a front row seat. You know, maybe that means you'll just, you, you know, you won't be able to really see him. You'll be, you'll be in Rupp Arena in the back row of the, uh, of the, of the, balc- or the upper deck. Doesn't mean that. It means you won't see his presence. You won't be in his presence. You won't be there. So ultimately, the, the, the thing here is totally eschatological, totally, totally end times, totally end of your time, even as personal eschatology the end of of your life when you go to heaven without holiness, without purity of heart there is no one who can be there to see him to be in his presence but there's there's a more temporal there's a more immediate sense of this seeing God those who are pure in heart well they will see God in nature I opened the scripture, the service this morning with Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The firmament is, is declaring His existence and His presence and, and His attributes in a glorious way. Well, the pure of heart will see that. Those who have been cleansed will see that. Those who are impure in heart will worship that. They'll worship fame and wealth and stuff. And say, so, oh, I've got to have more stuff of this nature. I've got to have more property. That belongs to me now. No, it belongs to God. He may let you borrow it and use it, but it's not yours. The pure in heart will see God in nature. They'll see His power. They'll see His, His invisible attributes of orderliness. We'll talk about that for the next two weeks after tonight in the Truth Project. His, His orderliness, seeing God in creation, in nature. They'll see God, pure in heart will see God in the scriptures. Wow. What do you look for when you read the Bible? I mean, seriously. What do you look for? Do you look for a little tidbit of something that will help you to feel better? If it is, you'll probably choose some pet verses and read those over and over. Or do you, or do you truly look Do you truly look for God there? And to hear from Him, to see Him in the Scriptures so that you might hear His voice through the Scriptures by the application of His Holy Spirit to your life. Do you look to see God speaking, see God shouting, see God declaring so that your life might be continually in a cleansing mode? 
Pure in heart sees God in the Scriptures. Pure in heart sees God in His church. When the people of God gather together as imperfect as we are, the Scripture says that God inhabits the praises of His people in the Psalms. God inhabits the praises of His people when we gather and when we sing. The pure in heart will see God present and they'll rejoice in that presence and they will glory in that presence. So I, I, I saw God this morning as we sang those songs to Him. How majestic is your name and a mighty fortress is our God and Jesus Messiah and Jesus Lord to me. I mean, when we sang those songs, I just, I saw God in this place. saying whiter than the snow and give us clean hands I, I saw God doing what only he can do doing what only he can do cleansing us those who have a pure heart will begin to discern out of nature and the scriptures and the church God's true nature and this seeing God means that they will be admitted into fellowship with him. You know what I'd like to do now is just stop for about half an hour. And let's just don't say another word. Let's just, I'm not going to do this. You're getting, I see some of you getting nervous. Another half hour. Don't get nervous. I said I'd like to. I'm not going to do it. But I'd like to just stop for about a half hour and not say a word and just meditate. Just think about. Just think about what it means to be in fellowship with God. I mean that I, that I, that you, sinner, broken, fallen, needy, that you are, that I am, can be in fellowship with an infinite, holy, righteous, perfect, omnipotent God. Fellowship. Be in fellowship with Him. That's important, folks. And that's why a pure heart is important. A pure heart's important so that we can be in that kind of relationship. Let me close with one thing here. You've got to understand something. This is very important. This purification of the heart is a divine work. Understand that. It is a divine work. It's a necessary work. It's a work without which you will not see God, be in God's presence, have fellowship with God, understand the glorious character of God. It's a necessary work, but it cannot be performed by ceremony. It cannot be performed by ritual. In the Old Testament, when they, when they came to the altar with the lamb or the, or, or the offering they brought, whether it was a bull or a lamb or a dove or whatever it was they brought, when they came and they offered that, they offered it as a sacrifice for their sin, but it didn't, it didn't do 
what was necessary to purify the heart. It gave a symbolic purification. But in a very short time, they had to come back and do it again. Offer it again. And again. And again. There has been an offering. There has been a sacrifice. There has been an atonement made that will never, ever, ever have to be repeated again. Because it is not ceremony. It is not ritual. It is reality. Jesus Christ on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, the sacrifice for our sin. Folks, that's the gospel. The gospel is not live better, be happy, do what you want to do, and and everything will be all right. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life because we were created in God's image and fell and we could not restore ourselves. And He came and died as our sacrifice, as our substitute in our place. That our hearts might be purified. That we might be made pure. If you're involved in just ceremony or ritual with wherever... That is a lie that it can do anything for you. No process of outward reformation will accomplish this. No process of trying to do better, be better, and look better will accomplish this purity of heart. It is and only is and can only be done by God's work, by His Holy Spirit. It's the same thing that Jesus said to Nicodemus. Nicodemus said, how can I have eternal life? How can I, how can I be made right with God? And Jesus said, here's the way. It's not obey the law. It's not clean yourself up. It's not be a good Pharisee. He said these words that have puzzled philosophers and theologians alike for generations. You must... Be born again. I'd love to have seen that dialogue. I can see Nicodemus saying, What? Am I supposed to enter into my mother's womb again and and somehow go through all that process and then come out again? Doesn't make sense. Jesus chided him just a little bit. He said, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the law and you don't get this? I mean, are you one who's a spiritual leader of the nation, a teacher of of God's word to the people, and you don't understand this? I'm not talking about going back into your mother's womb a second time and coming out a second time. I'm talking about something that comes from above, something that is born from above, something that is done by God to your life in a spiritual nature. It's a cleansing factor. It's a changing factor. It's glorious. It's purifying. It goes to the heart. Now, now understand, I, don't, I always struggle with that term heart because children invariably hear it as this beating thing in there that they see or, or maybe just a little neat little valentine there. We're not talking about a physical organ here. We're not talking about your blood being pure. We're talking about the purity the innermost part of your life. You might say the heart of the matter. 
the innermost part. I said, Bill, how's that happen? Well, it happens by the Holy Spirit touching your life. It happens by the Spirit of God drawing you to Himself and giving you life in Christ and, and then a continuous work of the Spirit in your life. But, but John makes clear it's something we're to pursue. It's something we're to desire. It's something that we are to, by His power and by His grace, be putting off the old man, as Paul said in Ephesians, and putting on the new man, trusting Him to make applicable the reality of the new birth every single day. That ought to be a matter of prayer. That ought to be a matter of pursuit. That ought to be a matter of desire above everything else. You know, I really believe we as Christians... And I'm guilty of this myself. Spend too little time saying, Lord, this issue or this thing is causing an eclipse of you in my life. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. Probably don't know all that it is for me because I'd be dealing with it if I did more seriously. But it's what's in your life that's just, if you imagine God up there and there's just this thing, and it, it may be a little thing, but it gets close and you, you cling to it. it. It gets big. Have you ever noticed that? Something real tiny out there? If you bring it real close to your eye, it gets really big. I had an eye exam not long ago at Dr. Huffman's, and, the, and, and the, they, they put this thing on my eye, and it was just a little tiny thing, but as it, as it got closer, it looked huge. I thought it was going to knock my whole head off. It wasn't that big. What is it in your life that's keeping you from seeing the greatness of God because it's an impurity? Young folks, you need to think about that. Satan can lie to you and bring you into all kind of relational situations that will eclipse God, that will be impure in your life. That's why I'm so glad our our youth right now, ninth through 12th grade, are studying what they're studying on, on the whole idea of dating and proper role of dating and proper role of relationships among young men and young women because so often they get so out of whack and they so eclipse God. Happens to us adults too. Maybe not in dating, but in other relationships. What is it? What impurity of heart is eclipsing God in your life? Let's pray. Father, we we 
we come into your presence and know, O Lord, that we need your purifying work. Make that clear, O Lord. Work that out, O Lord. Change us, Father, into your image. Boy, you made it tough when you said, Be holy as I am holy. Sometimes we confuse that and think, well, that means just try real hard. Lord, we know that apart from your purification and apart from your work, that can't be a reality. Break us, Lord. Give us grace to humble ourselves in your presence. I I don't like the song we sang, the one verse that says, Make us humble. Ooh, that, that requires pain. Give us the grace to humble ourselves, as Peter says. That we might glorify you in everything. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name.